serve pro like it never even happened. They're the restoration service that shows up in the green truck after there's been some kind of a tragedy, and they're the ones that make everything right. After there's been the fire or the flood or the earthquake or whatever, they'll fix your business in your home. They'll fix the roof. The carpet is clean. The furniture is replaced. Nice, isn't it? Serve pro. Wouldn't it be great, though, if there was some way to call a green truck to come into your life and fix what happened on the inside when there was a tragedy, like it never even happened? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Serve pro. I want to tell you this morning, I've got a really short time, you could stand to have your joy restored. Maybe because Satan has stolen it from you, and this morning you are more Eeyore than Tigger. You could stand to have your joy restored. Maybe it's because uh, you have been thinking that happiness is the same as joy, and so you put all your focus on trying to be happy, and you find out how that comes up short. You could have your joy restored. You could stand to have that done. And then with just a short introduction in this letter that we call Ephesians, I'd like you to open up your Bibles there, Paul has a way that you and I can work to quickly restore the joy that we're meant by God to have. Because yes, you are meant to have joy. And this isn't an attempt for me to get up here this morning and sing, don't worry, be happy. That doesn't work. Now, I'm not interested in trying to tell you this morning that life in Jesus just means that everything is going to be great all the time. In fact, Paul is writing this letter from prison. I'm talking about a deliberate exercise in restoring the joy of our salvation in Jesus. I'm talking about counting our blessings that God has given us in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now, the followers of Jesus who were living in Ephesus were in a bit of a pressure cooker. They needed to be reminded that they had been called to life in a different realm. Remember that phrase, life in the heavenlies, the heavenly places. That's used five times here in this letter, and we're going to be looking at all those different places where that comes up over these next weeks. They needed to be reminded of that, and you and I really aren't different than they. We could stand to have a reason for real joy this morning. Amen? You could stand to have your joy restored, and that's what I want for us to leave with. This is not rocket science this morning. Here it is. The blessings that God has given us in Jesus are deep reasons for joy. That's what I want to walk out the door with here as we leave today. Ephesians 1 lays out those reasons for real joy. And this, by the way, this is not a list of bonuses that we're holding out here to try to entice people and say, if you'll sign on, this is what you get. It's a tool. It is a tool to remind followers of Jesus what we have in him. We've heard some of it already this morning. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Blessed us? Yes. Paul the Apostle, sitting under lock and key, opens up this letter to these people with a list of very real blessings that we have been given as followers of Jesus Christ. Blessings that you can have too if you'll become a follower of Jesus. What are the blessings that he's talking about? I'm glad you asked that. If you read on, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Here's the first one. God planned our salvation. He planned it. I will always remember the days early on in our marriage when Carrie and I would go visit her foster parents, the Sills, in Kansas. They were the only bright spot in Kansas. <laughs> when we showed up at their house, there'd be extra milk in the refrigerator. They knew who they were dealing with. Cottage cheese, that was Carrie. The bed would be made all nice. The room would be immaculate. There were towels out. They had taken time off from their busy schedule so that they wouldn't be busy. They could spend time with us. Now, how does it make you feel when you go visit somebody in their home like that and it's really obvious to you that they have prepared and thought ahead that you're coming? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? Paul wrote in Romans 5, that while we were still weak, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Do you realize when that was? It was long before I knew I needed Jesus. Long before I even knew who he was. God had this all planned out. In fact, from the moment he brought earth into existence, did you see the wording there? From the foundation of the world. God knew we were coming. He knew what we would need. And so he chose us, Paul writes, and he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. This God, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, set this all in place from the beginning. He knew you were coming. And the question that this raises for some people is this. Are we followers of Jesus today because we chose God? Or are we followers of Jesus today because he chose us? And the answer is both. The answer is yes. Jesus told the parable of a wedding feast how many people were called to the feast? Great crowd, but most of them, when it came time to show up, refused to come. So the king who was giving the feast called others to come. Those people who didn't come were rejected, but the people who came were received. And Jesus ends that parable with these words. So many are called, but few are chosen. 
Back here in Ephesians 1, verse 5, it says, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. People get to this word predestined and start choking and begin to flounder. Do we believe in that? Well, it's a Bible word. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. It means, literally, to lay out the boundaries beforehand. Our word horizon comes from this word. And basically, when we get to this part in this first chapter of Ephesians, and Paul says God predestined us, it means probably one of three things. Two that are wrong and one that's right. It could mean the whole group, that God predestined the whole group He predetermined that everyone would be his sons and daughters by adoption. But I notice that it says, in him and through Jesus Christ. Did you see those words in there too? Somehow, only the people who are right with Jesus Christ are a part of this. So it can't be about every person because remember what Jesus said. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's pretty clear in Scripture. So that's probably not a good option. Second one is this, that that God does all this just according to his own desires, and there is no choice left to us. If you're from a a Presbyterian background or a Reformed background, background, you've probably heard this. If, if, If that's what Paul means here, then again, why does he mention that this is for people who are in Christ. Why does he say this is through Jesus Christ? Look again at verse 4. He chose us how? In him. So that we should be holy and blameless. And if Paul means that God just chooses whoever it is that he wants saved, that he is also choosing what? Who's not going to be saved. This God who wants all men to be saved. That's probably not a good option. Here's the third one. That God knew beforehand who would accept Jesus. And so based on our choice of Jesus, use the word, he predestined us to be his sons. Romans 8.29 puts it this way. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I am pretty certain of this as I read through this passage. The reason this is a blessing to us is not because God chooses us unconditionally, but because he planned out our salvation ahead of time, and there is nobody who can step in and disrupt God's plan. That's a blessing. He knew we would need it. He has it all laid out. He has planned our salvation. Isn't that good news this morning? That's one of the blessings in the heavenlies. Let's keep going. Chapter 1, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven 
and on earth. God planned our salvation. Here's another blessing. He gave us salvation. This past week, as 911 was commemorated all around the country, one of the organizations that was highlighted, I'll bet you've heard of them, was Tunnels to Towers. Stephen Siller was one of the New York City firefighters who died on that morning trying to save others. And now in his memory, his brother founded this organization, Tunnels to Towers. I want you to listen to their mission statement this morning. Here's how it goes. Since 9-11, we have been helping America's heroes by providing mortgage-free homes to Gold Star and fallen first responder families with young children and by building specially adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans and first responders. We are also committed to eradicating veteran homelessness and helping America to never forget September 11, 2001. Those are some lofty goals. How are they doing at those goals? You see, it's, it's one thing to plan big things. It's another to carry them through. So how are they doing? Well, if you jump on their website, they've raised over $500 million. That's half a billion dollars. They have given away or set the process of giving away over 1,000 homes. Sounds to me like they're getting some of it done. I want to tell you this morning that God did not just plan the lofty plan of our salvation. He made it happen. He gave it to us. Look what that includes. Verse 6, Paul says that includes grace. Grace which he has lavished upon us. You know, like Psalm 23, my cup overflows, where the cup is on the table and someone's filling it for you and says, let me make sure that's full. That's how God has put his grace on us. This favor that we don't deserve has been poured out to the point of overflowing where sin was worst. Grace was greater. What a great song we sang this morning. I don't know if you listened to the words as you were singing uh, before the throne of God above. What a great song. God has given us grace. Verse 7, redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood. And in case we don't realize it, Paul spells it out for us here. The forgiveness of our trespasses. We were slaves to sin by our bad choice. We sold ourselves out, and we could never buy our way out of that hole and get freedom. But God set us free. He redeemed us. Isn't that great? And the price for that redemption was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That is redemption. He gave us grace. He gave us redemption. And then verse 8, look what it says. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Anytime you see that word mystery in the New Testament, it means the same thing. It means this is something that at one point was hidden, but now it's been revealed. That's the great thing about New Testament mysteries. They're no longer a mystery. What if God had this great escape plan for us, this great plan of salvation, and never told us about it? Be kind of like, being on a a sinking cruise ship and there's one lifeboat, but nobody knows where it's at. Nobody knows how to get on it. Instead, Jesus comes along and he says, I am 
the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. When was the last time that you gave thanks to God just telling him, Lord, thank you for revealing your plan. Thank you that we can know it today. He's planned our salvation. That's a great blessing, isn't it? This is the part where you go, yep, that's a great blessing. Okay. Number two, he has given us salvation. That's a great blessing. Here's the third one. Chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Back up there, take a look at it again. He has made us an inheritance. It literally says here, he, uh, we were heritaged. He made us a heritage. You and I were made God's inheritance. If you were mindlessly wealthy and you could just buy anything you wanted, what would you choose? What would you buy? If you could buy anything, what would you buy? No takers. Okay. Well, let me tell you this. God took immeasurable wealth. God took the greatest treasure. It belonged to him. The precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And what did he choose to buy with it? Us. He made us his inheritance. He chose us. Of all the things that God could have be with him forever, he chose us. He made us his heritage. Titus 2.14 says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I'll be the first one to tell you that our salvation is wonderful because of everything that we get. I'll be the first one to tell you how wonderful it is that I have had my sins washed away, that every day I am a brand new creature in Jesus Christ, that I have even had my conscience washed clean of dead works, that I am no longer a slave to the fear of death, and I am looking forward to what God has forever for me in heaven. I'll be the first one to tell you how good those things are. But you know, in the middle of all of that, I remember what God gets. He gets us. He chose to make us his inheritance. Have you ever been behind a really nice RV going down the highway and it's got a bumper sticker says on it, we're spending our children's inheritance? Okay, that's what you're doing with your kids' inheritance. That's between you and your kids. What are we doing with what God will inherit? Is it to the praise of his glory? God chose to make his people his inheritance. He made us his heritage. That is a blessing. Number four, 
Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Go outside your house today after the rain quits and take a look at your electric meter and you will see attached to your electric meter a little tag made out of plastic and wire. It's a seal put there by the electric company. It's not really secure like a padlock. It, it can be cut off pretty easily or broken off pretty easily. It's more like a mark of ownership. It's removable, but it's important. And God's Holy Spirit living inside of his people, Paul says, is a sign of his promise to one day give to us everything he has promised in heaven. He's a down payment. I gave to a mortgage company a down payment of I don't know how many dollars. It was a notice to them of my intentions. And it gave them confidence that I would follow through with what I said I was going to do. A down payment, earnest money. My investment gave them confidence. Every time that God talks about us having the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, one of the things that we should remember about that is that he is a deposit from God, guaranteeing what is to come. The very same word gets used in 2 Corinthians 1.22, 2 Corinthians 5.5. God gives the Spirit to us as his earnest money, and he is to us the family seal that shows we belong to God. God gave us his spirit. All right. Paul's sitting in prison. He wants to encourage followers of Jesus to restore their joy in Jesus because you can stand to have your joy restored. And he doesn't tell them about their good health. He doesn't tell them about all the good stuff that they have. In fact, he doesn't remind them of anything material at all. Because earthy things are uncertain. They won't last. Instead, Paul said, remember this. Remember the blessings that God has given to us in the heavenly places. These things that matter. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need to learn to rejoice in our salvation. We need to learn to find joy in that thing that really matters. I found out that money talks. It says, goodbye. <laughs> and what we call health at its very best is always temporary. Relationships with any other person eventually will let us down, every one of them, in some way. So Paul points our attention to the blessings that we have in the place that lasts, the heavenlies. Psalm 51. King David has messed up really, really badly. If you know the backstory to that, you can see it right in the heading. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, and committed adultery, and lied, and murdered to try to cover it up. 
David really messed up. And we could read this psalm and, and we could just focus on what a mess up David was and relate to that. And it was true because he really had messed up on all sorts of levels. But when he came to his senses, he recognized what it was he really needed from God. Psalm 51 verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Make a list of all the things that we tend to cling to and look to for, for happiness here. Only the blessings that God gives us in the heavenly places are going to last forever. And for the follower of Jesus, our salvation is sure. And that's good news this morning. It's a reason to restore your joy. God planned it. God gave it to us. He's revealed it to us. He's given us a place in his plan by making us his heritage. And he has given us his spirit to remind us of it on a daily basis. The blessings God has given us in Jesus are deep reasons for joy. You can have that today. You can have that joy in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can. You can. We're doing things a little bit different here at the end this morning. I usually come down here and say, and now we're going to sing a song, and that's a time for you to do some hard thinking and make some good decisions. It's still time for you to do some hard thinking and make good decisions. We're just not going to sing the song right now. But here in just a moment, um, we're going to be doing a, a time of prayer, a season of prayer that we have planned for today, and that's going to be led by Beth when she comes up to lead that. But previous to that time, I want to give people an opportunity to respond. If you need Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior in your life, this time is set aside especially for you. And to help enact that, let me just have us all stand. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. And let me say it this way this morning. If that's you, if you need to give your life to Jesus Christ today, begin this relationship with him, while I am having this prayer, today. Please come down here to the front. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings, the reasons that we have for real joy. We are daily bombarded with the cheap substitutes that the world throws at us and tells us to be happy and be satisfied with that. Father, we're not. We want you. So I thank you for these reminders from your word this morning that just spell out for us these reasons that we have been given from you for real, genuine, deep, lasting joy. God, the world needs to see that in us. And so for those of us who follow you, please stir that up. 
Stir it up new inside of us. Like David wrote, restore to us the joy of your salvation so that others will see it and want it for themselves. And then, Father, help us to freely share it, to give it to them, to tell them about your plan, to tell them how you have have given it to us, how they can have that too. Thank you that we have this opportunity today to come before you, to ask, to give, and to be renewed. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.